And we're off. And they're off. And the lead is James. And he uh, started the talking on the podcast. And then um, next is Nathan. And he he started doing a weird uh, voice. Old Tommy I'm horse bad, racing voice. And I'm I'm bad at improv at this way because I'm I just we I, were off to a good start, but then we started recording and it yeah. just sort of fell apart from there. Well, here's the thing. I don't. I the rate at which I can form sentences in my mind and the rate at which I can speak sentences from my mouth are different, and so they um. Kind of collide. They're out of sync, so, as it were. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I tend to stammer quite a bit when I just to fill space, um, when I'm not sure what I need to say, because <laughs> my brain's put take, to taking the time to put stuff together. I don't know if I could ever run. Give it up. There's this one place. It would turn into the stat man. There's this one place in Fallout 4 where is it's like this old horse racing park, and you hear old timey horse race announcer voice off in the distance, and you get closer and closer, and it's just like a bunch of raiders racing like these um drones around a track over and over again and as you walk up to them um they get really mad at you and i'll attack you um i was like i just wanted to watch the race man but guess you're not allowed to have nice things in a post-apocalypse post-nuclear apocalypse world that's typically or boston why it's a or boston (laughs) Or boston or detroit yeah is Detroit featured in any Fallout games? No, but you know the the classic idiom: you can't you can't have anything in Detroit. Oh yeah, uh, nice version. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. I don't know that I'll ever have an occasion to go to Detroit. I have, and I will have another. I have another one uh, coming up because you think in Chicago. Oh, Chicago? Yeah, Detroit is different from Chicago, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> Why did my brain... My brain is... Uh, you know, Chicago, Michigan, my, and Detroit, Illinois. Yes. Why, <laughs> you know, I'll bet you there are actually both of those. Yeah. Pro, you know, yeah. There's a sense. Fargo, Georgia, after all. Because that's not confusing. Of course, there's also Rome, Georgia, so... They just like taking famous names for things, I guess. Perhaps. Sometimes they slap a new one front. Just to yep. make distinguish it from the one that's in Europe, it's like, yeah, this this is not the one in Europe, by the way. Don't go there. This is this is this is not. We're not just going to call it Hampshire. We're going to call it New Hampshire because it's a mm-hmm. new one. It's um, the Detroit Lakes went a slightly different route because it used to be just Detroit, but then they kept getting the mail mixed up, so they added the lakes to the end of it, mm-hmm. as the story goes. Um. Yeah, they didn't do the new Detroit either because, let's face it, nobody wants that. <laughs> if Detroit was so great, why didn't they make a Detroit too? <laughs> imagine, imagine like uh, in the future if we like settle Mars or something, just the the names of the settlements being like uh, New York Two, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
It's like those uh, those initiatives where they let people vote on names, for and it things. just turns out to be Bodie McBoatface. Yeah, man, <laughs> that got so close. You know, I love the Minnesota DOT snowplow naming uh, thing uh, that goes one, on every winter. The one I heard of that, that happened recently was Betty Whiteout. <laughs> they have like the entire fleet of snowplows has meme names like all of them nice nice you didn't you look up on the min dot facebook page what they are but uh, let's see they're all they're all quite fun that's oh, awesome we're, we're doing this for for the quality content yeah ah, yes am we're, i we're supposed to riff up? while uh James <laughs> yeah looks while up? i fumble over the keyboard um yeah they're snowplow. um i'm trying to think of some other ones so Name snow plow contest. Betty Whiteout, Control Salt Delete, <laughs> The Big Laplowski, Plowosaurus Rex, Scoop Dog, <laughs> Blizzard of Oz, No More Mr. Ice Guy, and Edward Blizzard Hands. <laughs> Although actually that's kind of, I've never seen that movie, but I understand that that becomes kind of the plot of the movie. So that, that he's like doing an ice sculpture at some point. Yeah, but that's how snow is made. It's the shavings from him making his ice sculptures. Mm-hmm. It's just Johnny Depp and he's got scissors for hands. And he's depressed. <laughs> I, I've, I, again, haven't seen it before. I might at some point. Is there point. anything older than this year? Uh, I don't know. There's lots of things older than, than this year. Like last year. Yeah. I think they've done this thing for a few years. Yeah, it does... <sighs> I want I want the ones from last year, dang it. Uh, oh well. We you get the were, general gist of it. They were on the Facebook page for Minda. Are we gonna do more audibly looking things up or are we just gonna continue with our it's, just gonna deal with it? Yeah. Yeah, I I think we've we've established the point. The, the point is if when we get to people... Mars the snowplows on Mars are gonna have funny <laughs> names. <laughs> because obviously there's going to be snow plows. Well, it's like Mars. you go to like immigrant towns; they would just be like, "Crap, what do we name it? Oh, let's name it the place we came from: uh, Warsaw, um, you know, or, Kiev, North Dakota, or Kiev." I, I guess that was the way it was pronounced back then. Or like the further west you go, the less people cared, and it's like, "Yeah, um, this is um, uh, Cuba." Yep, <laughs> Gooding Jr. Absaraka. <laughs> uh, what's another one? Welcome to literally just hell. Memphis. <laughs> rugby. How the heck, like, how the heck a town became named Rugby in the middle of North Dakota? Well, it was probably a guy's name because yeah. a lot of last names are, are come from their profession. Although part of me wishes it was just sort of like this old-timey cult tradition of rugby in this one town. Rugby's uh, along Highway 2, isn't it? I believe so. It's probably the name of a railroad to railroadman. Yeah, sure. All, that's how you got Hankinson and Dickinson and mm-hmm. Jamestown and every virtually every town. Well, in Fargo's named North. after the Wells Fargo guy, who was first a railroad guy. Mm-hmm. And Don't let those horses fool you. Like half of the towns in the West exist because they're along the train tracks because yep. they need to stop for water periodically. You have to stop. Back Somebody in, call back in the, the railroad days. water crew. Back in the old timeies. Fargo uh-huh. grew up around the intersection of the Red River and the railroad. Yep. Mm-hmm. Could haul stuff up and down on barges up to Winnipeg. Um, 
I would like to go to Winnipeg someday. Apparently, it's like a fairly decent-sized city. Uh, my parents, uh, John Paul II, made a visit to Winnipeg, and they one year, and they were kicking themselves that they didn't go because they lived in Grand, East Grand Forks at the time. Hmm. So it uh, what oh god, it's probably like a four-hour drive, I guess, from there. From east from Crookston, it's like three. Oh, okay, yeah. So, so it's probably more like two forty-five. So it's actually three, closer than two and a half, yeah, Winnipeg me. is closer to Grand Forks than the Twin Cities. Driving time, anyway. That would be interesting, but yeah, I I just need to go to Canada at all. I need to get a. You need to. Well, I don't need to, but I'd like to. I mean, imagine like just living your whole you did, life, you know? Yeah, I, in one country. Yeah. It's like, I, I traveled abroad. And by traveling abroad, I mean I, I drove my car up three hours. And I've, I've drank seen some Canada. maple syrup and then yeah. came back. <laughs> I guess you could call it the land of my ancestry, but that would be more accurately France. But it's Can- Canadians. The, the transitional land of my ancestry. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of, um, yeah that that um that br- little bridge the br- the the bridge area between um you know, let's be real you didn't originate in France either <laughs> well you trace everything back far enough yes back Africa. to when it was ethnically homogenous yeah right. in like central africa somewhere if we want to go that far back um not many people care to no because then that obscures the whole idea of race the meaningful yeah. distinctions between heritages that occur in you know everything after that mm-hmm. one thing i find fascinating is like the technologies that exist on the different continents uh, it makes you wonder if those things were invented and then carried over or different people's developed the same technology simultaneously like the bow and arrow for instance basically every aboriginal culture has one or it's it's one of the oldest weapons i'm no anthropologist but well i mean it's an effective way to get sharp sticks to fly through the air Mm -hmm. and it doesn't take many ingredients it may take some skill and finesse and specific ingredients to yeah. fashion with any kind of scientific accuracy yeah but uh i mean it's a pretty simple machine like i, I can't imagine there was only one uh one culture that developed the wheel and then nobody else ever used wheels <laughs> but i mean imagine like just never needing a wheel but then finding a wheel and it's like you know what this is actually kind of handy i could use this for a few things it's um, yeah, it's always it's always kind of interesting to be like, well, this being a finite universe, this thing did was used for the first time by somebody somewhere. Oh yes, well you see philosophy developing in virtually every civilization around the same time, so mm-hmm. it's like that's not an unheard of thing. True. Now they are very different in their mindsets because different people caught thought up with them for the most part. Mm-hmm. in several key ways i was reading an so article recently where they were trying to figure though. out like because they've recently found fossilized human footprints in new mexico i believe that are older than a lot of other artifacts in north america so they're wondering like okay so 
was is the uh, was the Bering Strait theory of people getting to North America right, or was it like the Pacific Islanders where they, you know, just sort of got on boats and gradually came found new lands? Or could it have been a bit of both? A little bit of column very A, well a little been. bit of column B. Could have very well have been, you know. Those aren't mutually exclusive. Freaking ancient all. humans not leaving written records. What's wrong with you? <laughs> what are written and what is record, they say, in this, well, in, in, this in, uh, in the English language to this rhetorical question. Y- right. <laughs> Gosh. That was... <laughs> so, being a good homeschool Christian household, we had... You guys ever watched the old Jesus of Nazareth, like three VHS tape series on the life of Christ from like the 80s or 90s? I have not, actually. It's actually decent, but um, the depiction of Jesus is a little bit like a bit airy, if you know what I mean, just kind of like aloof and like. Not aloof in like a sort of stuck up way, but just kind of like not a space there. cadet. Yeah, a bit of a space cadet. Uh-huh. Um, but the other thing was, you know, Aaron and Andre, two younger brothers, uh, were constantly popping those tapes in, and my mom just kind of let it happen because, like, well, there are there are other things they could be watching, like Thomas the Tank Engine, for example, which apparently teaches kids to say "shut up." But um, <laughs> <laughs> the. This long protracted argument with four-year-old Aaron over no Jesus did not speak English, it didn't ah. exist yet. He See? was irate over this point. It's like he spoke Aramaic or Greek. Depends. It's like no, he spoke English. Well, what you, what you should have done is you should have showed him the passion of the Christ. Yeah. Did that exist when he was having this argument? Uh, I don't think it. It may would not have. have. Well, it, it's around that. Time. I remember um, the when it that when it came out, there was a discussion among like my older siblings' youth group as to whether or not they should go because it's rated R. Um, two thousand four. So this would have been yeah, it would have been around by that point. But it would have been yeah okay. So, he was a bit too young for that at the time, but it was it was rather amusing. Um, the the bitter insistence on obviously English is the superior language, obviously to a four year old because, because it's the it's one, the I one speak. he knows. Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't know it well enough yet to know that it actually is kind of dumb. The other thing too is all of the. Every every time a foreigner is portrayed in an English speaking film, it's it, from a certain era. It's always British people playing like or it, early, it uh, true. It's like why why are all foreigners British? It's like because because they're exalted everywhere, yeah. and so the English pronunciations are more ubiquitous. It's like I the guess? sepia filter of of accents <laughs> from the old the old timey days. To bring it back to the chat discussion from earlier right where it's like you go to like any arid country and suddenly everything is brown like you you go across the strait of gibraltar from spain to morocco and suddenly everything is very brown (laughs) or even in spain depending on the movie but it is kind of fascinating now what if we just like there was a movie where every country was color-coded differently like you go to america and everything's just like blue 
Mm-hmm. It's like it's got this blue tint over it. But then you go to, to um, England blue, and it's all like tinted red. Or somewhere else and it's all purple. Yep. I mean, for no real reason, maybe just make 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 America just kind of Just make a... <laughs> anyway. That'd make a lot of people happy, I imagine. Yeah, speaking of making people happy, we're the Palladium Papists. I'm James. I'm Nathan. And I'm Riley. Uh, we're doing a philosophical today. We are about a character who isn't... A movie about a character who isn't very happy, but then becomes happy. So I guess the becoming happy or being happy transition... Yeah. A little bit fits anyway. I'm happy. Uh, we're talking about Grand Torino. In a world where one man will decide whether to pull a lever and kill one man, or not pull a lever and allow five people to die, find out in Philosophical. What's so, yeah. funny that, gosh, I was uh, listening to Bishop Barron and Father Mike Schmitz were doing a conversation podcast and they started talking about Gran Torino. I was like, gosh, dang it. Can we do something that somebody else hasn't like some idea that somebody <laughs> hasn't sniped? Anyway, I mean, it's a good movie. So it, it came out movie. in about 2008. It was directed by Clint Eastwood and is also starring Clint Eastwood. As a lot of his films recently have been. Yes. East Clintwood. Yes. So. You've got the the movie starts out at a funeral, um, the funeral of uh, Clint Eastwood. His his character's name is Walt, but we'll probably just end up calling him Clint Eastwood for most of the time. Yeah, um, his his wife died. Uh, they were they're. I mean, it's two thousand eight. Clint Eastwood's or two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So he's uh he's pretty old himself, mm-hmm. and he's kind of an old grumpy guy that nobody really likes even within his family and uh that's fine because he doesn't like them either he's very stiff and gruff so we've got this so it starts out and he's they're all at the funeral and this really young priest who's probably just first assignment out of seminary and stuff he's like so death is bittersweet and gives this kind of cliche homily about the eulogy about you know how how life is beautiful and death is there is an important difference between a eulogy and a homily so it is is. a homily it is a homily Mm -hmm. eulogy is not it's about the woman's it's about their life yeah Yeah. my my mistake anyway so this displeases the eastwood as does the behavior of his family who his, his two sons and their wives and their kids uh, kind of being disrespectful and disruptive in church, and this mm-hmm. displeases him. So they go back to his house and to for the for the reception, and people show up and start being like, "So, what you gonna do with all the stuff you got when you die? Like your uh your cool car?" And he just this displeases him. So he goes out to the porch to drink a beer, and he looks at the neighbors, and the neighbors are a bunch of Asian immigrants, and this displeases him being an old uh, Korean, Korean War, War vet. Yeah, uh, and just grumpy and racist and stuff like that. So his he's not living his best life by any means. No. Uh, meanwhile, the party next door is a um, is a uh, celebrating a new uh, a baby. Mm-hmm. It's I don't know what the um, what the some ceremony's sort of, called, some but some sort kind of, of ritual yeah. surrounding that because uh, it's a it's a Hmong family that's moved in next door. Well, yeah, they've the been there for a bit. Really. Yeah. yeah, the whole neighborhood's kind of being it's, populated it's by Detroit's, immigrants. 
And the auto factories have sort of gone out of business. And so a lot of the old neighborhoods are slowly becoming um, lower income, uh, you know, immigrants, minority neighborhoods. So Detroit. Yeah. Typical white flight inner city stuff. Yep. Yeah. And Detroit. So Except stuff is a little sketchy. With all with all the white flight happening, um, Eastwood is the only per, pers, like guy there because he's so set in his old house and his old ways. And, and the old the old grandmother next door is saying, <laughs> constantly just scowling at him. Yeah, it's like why doesn't he? Why doesn't, doesn't the old white man leave? So anyway, in this Hmong family, you have one uh, a, a, a young man named Tao, mm-hmm. uh, and he is kind of looked down upon by his peers he's there's a lot of like uh gangs and stuff like that and he's got a cousin in a gang and he's like hey man why aren't you being cool and rolling with us and stuff you're doing woman's work in the garden and stuff man we gotta man you up and he's resistant to anything because he's because he wants to be a good kid and he's kind of soft in some ways yeah he's he's but he keeps getting pushed around and his his sister keeps trying to stick up for him but you know, the, these gang guys are all tough. And, hey, man, come hang with us. Come roll with us. You will be, Come be cool. Hey, if you if you do it and you're cool. Yep. Um, so eventually, like a couple days pass, and they convince him to uh, they try and initiate him into their gang, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, if you can steal that old man's cool old vintage car, uh, then uh, you can you can roll with us and you're cool, man. And so uh, he he goes over. So Tao goes to to Clint Eastwood's garage and tries to steal the car. But Clint Eastwood gets up, grabs his gun, and chases him out of his garage and stuff. And so that that, that was a failed attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that failed attempt, Tao is kind of being pushed around even harder by his gang uh, relatives and friends. Air quotes friends. They're not actually right, friendly to yeah. him. So there's so the, the like the following night a kind of scuffle blip breaks out on the in their front yard, that kind of spills over into Clint Eastwood's yard, and he comes out like get off of my lawn. He's got a mm. he's got a gun and everything, threatens the gang kids, and, and they're like this guy is a little scary. We're gonna listen to what he's he like, says. I, I've I've I, I've killed people like you in Korea all those years ago. I'm I'd sleep just fine doing it again because mm-hmm. I am old and I'm. Angry, and racist, and mm. stuff. And so the, the the he chases him off, and the family's like, "Oh, thank you." And he's like, hey, "Get off my lawn," <laughs> and and goes home. And all the Mong families the next day start bringing him food and flowers and gifts, and he's, he's like, like what, "What is all this about?" Well, it's because you saved Tao. Tao's Tao say thank you, and he's like, "Thank you." It's also because like because Tao has brought dishonor on the family. The mother says he must serve um walt for like a week or something pay off the 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 debt for well i tried to steal your car and he was like i don't like you even more now toad go away (laughs) yep um but um so like later after like also around this time the priest makes several more visits to walt and he's like hey um i wanted to talk to you because your wife said she want you she wanted you to go to confession and for me to keep an eye on you in case of stuff. She so made what's me up? promise to keep bugging you about it. And he's like, well, stop bugging me about it because I don't want to be lectured by a 27-year-old virgin who spent way too much time in a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the priest is persistent and shows up for several more scenes. 
Um, and then one one day, um, Walt is driving home in his truck and sees um, Tao's sister and some guy friend she's hanging with being um, there, being kind of hassled by a, a, another group of just street thugs, and he kind of observes from a distance for a while, just like not sure not wanting to help but also being like i can't just let this happen mm-hmm. so he goes and he he's like hey he flashes his gun and it's like hey girl get in the truck i'm gonna drive you home you dumb dork kid she's rolling with go home mm-hmm. that's played by clint eastwood's son <laughs> also you other kids don't make a move or i'm gonna shoot you yep so yeah he drives her home and they have a bit of a conversation she's Kind of, kind of a sparky kid with some uh, personality to her, and he's they kind of hit it off in a uh, bickering kind of way. Mm-hmm. She explains, "Yeah, uh, we're about what what's up with the Hmong and stuff coming into the into America because it's like, hey, during the Korean War, the Vietnam, yeah. the Vietnam, yeah, during Vietnam, uh, we were we fought on the American side, but so when they pulled out, we were uh, we had nowhere else to go. So, yep, this that's why." Us people are here, and then... Blame the Lutherans. <laughs> the Lutherans put us in Everybody in blames the Lutherans. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, they, they hit it off, and then Tao comes to start working for for uh, for Clint. And so he gives them some menial tasks initially, like not wanting to like, go count even the give them the time tree. of day. But after a while, he realizes, oh, wait, the neighbor across the street, I've always hated looking at how poorly maintained his yard is. Why don't you go fix up that guy's house? Why don't you go fix up that guy's roof? And then over the next week or so, he has him actually do a bunch of odd jobs for a bunch of other people. And it's like, hey, well, I've got... People in the neighborhood kind of catch on, so they start placing requests for (laughs) stuff to have have towel fix. And, of course, being a a very old guy who used to work in the Ford factory, he's got a bunch of tools that he can just loan to towel to get the odd jobs done. Mm -hmm. And after a while... um, he, he really kind of starts taking an interest in Tao and how uh, he's Very really... Very hardworking. He, he's well-meaning. He just has no direction right now. He, like, goes to um, their house at, during some kind of get-together and uh, sees that there's a girl that he clearly likes and is she is very interested in him. And he's like, well, why don't you go talk to her? If I, if I, if I were you, I'd have been all over her by now. That kind of a thing. So it's like... Goes around, like, fixes their washing machine in the basement just because he can't help himself. <laughs> right. And so eventually he's like, okay, Tao, I'm going to gonna man you up. I'm going to get you a job. I'm going to... So you can buy your own car. So you can... You, you, I wanna, do you want to get your life straight? You ever want to be a man? Well, let's do this. So there's this funny scene where they talk to the barber. Um, <laughs> he gets... He pulls some strings and talk, brings up some old acquaintances to get him a job in construction and stuff. And so now Tao's just trying to... Be an honest worker, do an honest job. And by this point, he and maybe he and go Walter to college someday, are, sort of he, thing. And by this point, they become good friends, right? There's uh, Walt is still very curmudgeonly and old in his way, and, his, mm-hmm. he's, and still very casually racist toward everybody. Yeah, but they just kind of roll with it, and it's like, yeah, this is just kind of him. He's not f- upfront about being affectionate, particularly mm-hmm. since his uh, 
he he has no relationship with his family anymore. They mm-hmm. his uh, son and daughter in law show up. It's like, hey, it's, happy birthday, it's grandpa! Sort of implied like he was never really close to his two sons, and they just sort of gave up trying to please him and live their own lives. Right. And so there's there's no ties there really. Mm-hmm. So for the and he's he's like, man, I'm I'm a he he starts becoming a closer family to these foreign strangers. Than he is with his own flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. So um, one day, uh, while Tao is coming home from work, uh, his gang friends show up and is like, "Hey, man, where you been?" It's like, "I've I've got a job. I'm coming home from my job, guys. Leave leave me alone." It's like, so they keep hassling him. They burn a cigarette butt in his face, that kind of stuff. And it's, so they send him home, and uh, Clint's like, "Hey, what what happened to you?" It's like, "Ah, it's the it's that gang. They they keep they keep messing with me and." This doesn't go over well. This displeases the Clint. Um, and so he 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 goes over and beats up on one of his the, the gang people. And he's like, hey, you stay away from that kid, are you here? Um, which may not have been the brightest thing to do. Mm-hmm. Because then the gang retaliates by, um, by doing a drive-by shooting at his house. And... Uh, um, Sue and Tao both end up getting hurt. Very hurt, yes. And so Tao was very um, indignant. It's like, okay, we gotta, we gotta retaliate. We gotta fight back, man, uh, for what they did to me, for what they did to my sister, particularly. And Clint's like, calm down, kid. We got, we gotta do this carefully. We gotta be. We we can't just go rushing in, or we're gonna get ourselves killed. Right. Yep. In the meantime, Walt has been like coughing up blood and right, you know, so goes to the doctor things aren't going great mm-hmm. so he's he started trying to think about trying to get his affairs in order so yeah he 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 has a plan that he's decided to not involve Tao in so he goes around town he gets his confession in with the priest and the priest is like what are you gonna do Walt he's convinced that he's gonna go and just Dude, shoot up what, the, what, what, the gang house you know confessions don't work forwards right yep um, he he goes and gets another uh, a haircut with his at his barber friends. He gets a fitted suit and stuff, and he's like, "Oh, I've never done this before." Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, so then he goes to. Well, the, he he told he tells Tao like, "Okay, come over at four o'clock, and I'll let you know what the plan is." So he locks Tao in the basement. And is like, "I've got to do this alone. I don't need you coming with and ruining things." Yeah, because so he because earlier the the gang wasn't really held responsible because. There were no like actual witnesses, and nobody wanted to come forward about it because the the Hmong people are so tightly knit like that. Mm-hmm. But it's become clear to Walt that like this family isn't going to be able to get anywhere because this gang keeps hassling them and holding them back. Mm-hmm. Like like um, how Tao's sister um, put it earlier, she was like, "Yeah, the the girls go to college, the boys go to jail. That's mm-hmm. how things work around here." So yeah. Um, Walt drives up to the house that the gang is hanging out in. He gets their attention. He's like, hey, uh, you, you guys better stop it. Pulls a cigarette out of his uh, coat pocket. They're all jumpy with their guns and stuff. He's like, anybody got a light? And he reaches into his inside coat pocket. They all shoot him up. And he was just reaching for his lighter. And so the police Rather arrive, deliberately. Like, rather deliberately. Like tele- uh, telegraphing he has a gun. When, in fact, he does not. And so the police show up on the scene. And there were a bunch of people in the neighborhood watched it. There were witnesses. So they they clearly have this gang 
the evidence that they just killed a guy who was completely unarmed. It was in no way self-defense or anything. So all the gang people are going to jail. Clint Eastwood, his character, Walt, I should say, mm-hmm. um, has died. And so everybody goes to his funeral. Um, and during the reading of the will, it he donates his house to the church and his prize Grand Torino that he built himself in the 70s goes to Tau. Mm-hmm. And that is where the movie ends. Yep. Clint is Clint Eastwood sings. Clint Eastwood in sings the, the first yep. cre- the first verse of the song in the credits. Yep. Imagine like trying to sing immediately after waking up in the morning and swallowing like a bucket of gravel. <laughs> <laughs> Just That's gargle a, with gravel. Yep. Gargling gravel like a turkey. Indeed. That's so, about yeah. what it sounds like. But it's touching nonetheless. That is the plot to the film Gran Torino. Yes. It's about a racist old white guy who becomes a closer family to his Finds redemption than his own and family. manages to redeem others through his actions. Yep. He. Yeah. So, so what, do we, what do we like about Gran Torino? As of recording this, we just watched this. Yeah, last night. I, I've, I'm the only one who had seen it prior to watching it last night. Mm-hmm. So I'll start. Let's you guys start. I think the um, the arc of the priest is very interesting. Mm. He's like you can really tell he's very green at first because he like you know he jumps out into the into the scene all zealous and enthusiastic, but really not having any clue what he's about. Right, and he's, he's preaching doing. to people three times his age and. They're all like about life and death, and here's Walt, who's literally killed people and lived a life, had a family, and buried his wife. Well, it it was during their conversation about life and death. um, The priest points out, "It's like you know, you seem to know a lot more about death than you do about living." Mm -hmm. He's Um, uh, he's more wise than he lets than might first appear, I suppose. Yep, because you know, seminary does teach you about. Those sorts of things, because, you know, it's part of the job description. Mm-hmm. You're around death a lot, surprisingly enough. It's like, you, it's not unheard of for a, a priest to go and bless a body, you know, of someone who's died in any number of gruesome ways. So it's like, I don't know, it was, he may not have had those experiences personally yet, the, the mm-hmm. priest in our rendition, but... Mm-hmm. It's, and he's you know pretty direct and upfront with Walt trying to like he's like well your wife made me promise to make you go to confession so I'm gonna I'm gonna be persisting with you, but he manages to sort of find ways like to he he exercises a pastoral sensitivity mm-hmm. and like how do I reach Walt what are his needs what are his concerns what is he worried about what will reach him mm-hmm. so. It's like it's a good depiction. It's like after yeah. the fir- their first meeting where he really blows him off, he meets him he continues to meet him more and more at Walt's level. Mm-hmm. And, um like that- finding him at the bar or and um talking to him like at his house and things like that. Which really allows Walt to open up to him a little more and more in addition to Walt's own arc where he's becoming more and more other people oriented. Mm-hmm. Though I don't know what priest in the world has that much time to dedicate to a single <laughs> to a single person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it works for the it's story. It's for the anyway. plot. Yeah. It, it works for the story. He, 
his role makes sense in the movie as like a Catholic, as you imagine a Catholic priest ought to fit in pastorally speaking. Um, and obviously like the biggest thing in the movie is Walt's change over the course of it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. cause there's some things that, you know, he remains kind of the same, you know, he's an old man set in his ways, but like, you know, but he, his attitude toward everything mm-hmm. shifts fundamentally. Yep. He, he, I mean, he's lived his life. He still has regret. He has regrets about, you know, like he says in confession, like I was never close to my sons and I've always felt pretty bad about that. And like a few other things. Um, and so he, over the course of the movie finds different things that he makes right in some way and gives him more peace. Like he sort of has a, almost a, a kind of father figure role with Tao. And uh, Tao's Sue. father's not in the picture right now. Yeah, I, I think his, I think their dad's dead. Unclear. 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 Not the point is he wasn't the strong role model when he was in their life. And now he isn't. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so yeah, he he's sort of a fatherly figure for for Tao and Sue and a protector as well. Um, and he also uh, he helps like fix up the neighborhood, which is like kind of, or he makes Tao help him fix up the neighborhood, which is kind of fun. And even and he sort of builds up Tao's confidence to the point where Tao can like directly challenge him. It's like, no, I'm gonna help you pull this fridge up the stairs. I'm going to be on the top because that's heavier and you're an old man. So if you aren't going to let me do it and I'm just going to leave you alone to it, he's like, okay, fine. <laughs> and you know, the aforementioned scene at the barber shop where he's teaching him how to talk smack <laughs> with the, with the barber. But, but it's, it's very funny because him and the barber have this rapport that would probably goes back 10, 20 years at mm-hmm. least. <laughs> so he talks to him like it, like an old friend who, who knows how to dish out with, what they take and take it right mm-hmm. and so when he tells Tao to come back and talk to him like a man he starts swearing at him the way that he's uh, like what are you doing what are you doing you just met the man <laughs> <laughs> so he he doesn't have like he has a slightly old-fashioned and toxic uh like view of masculinity mm-hmm. but also kind of well-meaning in has, the example he wants to set for Tao. yeah he still has some of the authentic attributes of masculinity that managed to shine through in the end it's just he's also a very old grumpy guy so mm-hmm. that's that kind of overshadows most of it <laughs> yeah um i suppose you could say life and death are sort of the theme of the movie which we can get into in unity right um well, let's see but what it's was like cool thing i liked it interest actually interestingly the opening of the movie highlights this yeah because it begins with the funeral and the Hmong equivalent of a baptism, or mm-hmm. a, some chris, a christening of some kind, right? Yep. Where it's a, the end of a life and a beginning of a life, mm-hmm. um, which could be seen as representing um, Walt's own new direction. Yeah, and um, he's sort of in the twilight of his life, and you know, Tao and Sue are kind of like they're teenagers, you know, starting to come to their own and trying to find their place in the world. And in that way, the ending ends with the the end of a life and the beginning of a life in a mm-hmm. way yeah because the family has a new life without they're, they're, the gang over there they're, they're allowed overshadowing to, them yeah so it, it end it's book ended very nicely mm-hmm. uh and artistically yep um yeah i suppose one of the things like walt like changing to be more outwardly like 
Because, like, after his wife died, he's, like, sad because she's gone, but he also seems to be kind of comfortable being alone because he's got his dog, he's got his beer, and he's got his newspapers. Mows the lawn and every day. You kind of get the impression that um, his wife was the last thing kind of holding his family together. Mm-hmm. Where it's like the kids only showed up for the funeral and then they hardly appear in the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Aside from trying to... And when Walt, Walt sort of a, tries to like reach out and like reconnect when he realizes he's probably going to die, um, it's sort of rebuffed, I guess, by his sons. His relationship with his sons are very transactional. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, we're going to try and get you into an institution. Or, hey, do you still know the guy that has the, the tickets you were talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, it's they have a, a transactional relationship with their father. Yep. And it's not like an authentic parent-child relationship you know yeah yeah uh unlike which when he which he actually gets a proper relationship with the neighbor and their kids right Mm -hmm. yep he he even kind of tries to patch things up with the uh the grandma in the house (laughs) next door he's like hey take take care of my dog daisy before he goes out she's like she's saying something and her native language at him he's like yep yep love you too you old (laughs) hag Um, but yeah, he, he managed to set him, all of his things in order and, you know, bring, yeah, bring them out of the nasty situation. Yeah. It's, and it's interesting cause, um, I'll call back to when the priest said, you know more about death than you do about living. He mm-hmm. actually Finds begins living yeah. a life his, his, with, um, with, through his relationship with Tao and his family. Mm-hmm. Like, like they, they have him over for dinner and he sort of awkwardly manages to insult them in every possible way before. But then they still like, you know, they still like him enough to keep giving him food and stuff. And he even has like, the, particularly after he gets Tao to do their chores. <laughs> yep. And then he manages to like, he's, he even has like Sue and Tao and then Tao's girlfriend over for a barbecue at his own place and welcomes them into his home and all that. And then after Tao loses his tools because his uh, his the gang came up and hassled him, he's like, ah, I can get you new tools. Also, he, he he buys Tao all of the equipment he needs to get his job started. He's like, mm-hmm. hey, you can pay me after your first paycheck, whatever. Yep. So he's, yeah. Goes from somebody who's very, like... Very closed in. Very closed in. He's got a in. hard shell and not going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, to someone who is become very like open and vulnerable with these people at times Mm -hmm. particularly when when they're at their worst and he's like i don't want you to go through having to take someone's life because it's an awful thing to have to do Mm -hmm. and you don't have to do it yep there's there's another way out of this right um which i suppose sort of gets us into the truths if we don't have anything else we want to say about the movie i have other cool things that properly oh, yeah, fit into the, other, uh, into the other categories yeah, to the oh, transcendentals okay. all right then. so all right. let us go uh truth what are truths we can find in um gran torino get busy living or get busy dying yeah yeah pretty much to, to quote another it's a quote of another uh, classic classic film this um the um Ponder, ponderful piece on uh, life and death and what it, what it really means to live and what it means to die and to mm-hmm. do so in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
because like the, the like the sort of the the Hmong, um shaman or something to that effect was sort of looks walt over and he's like you don't enjoy your life you have things you regret and uh, you have no peace yeah you have no peace and so that sort of resonates with walt because he knows of course it's true mm-hmm. so he manages he drills down and finds the things that are you know not allowing him to have peace and gradually i guess makes peace with the different parts of his life that he sort of repressed all these years even at the end where previously all he knew of death was how awful it felt and how it felt even worse when they gave you a medal for doing it mm-hmm. um what to the but he turns that around and it's like well he's his death was used to save this whole family and their entire future and livelihood. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or instead of like taking life to solve a problem, he gives his life. And where where life previously for him had no real value beyond maybe his relationship with his wife. When that's and when gone, she was gone, it was basically the dog was all he had left. Right. So no, no, nobody and nothing to particularly live for. He just kind of existed. He polishes now, his Gran Torino. He sits and drinks beer on the porch with his dog. And that's about what he does with his days. But then he had people to live for. Mm-hmm. And in, in Tao and his family. Mm-hmm. And, and the broader community around and the, him. And the, the broader community, yeah. And he kind of became a fixture in this community. Because they keep bringing him like food and flowers and stuff. And he keeps being like, no more. Wait, are those the chicken dumplings? Okay, you can bring those in. (laughs) (laughs) Just his subtle opening up to their their hospitality and kindness. Mm -hmm. Until until it got to the point where because he had something to live for, he also had something to die for. Yep. Um, Any other uh, truths we can talk about? I guess, uh, yeah, life is best lived for others. Like, it's the only real way to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can, the, you can exist while just doing whatever or living for yourself. Yeah. But the life truly worth living is a life lived for others. Mm-hmm. It's kind of part of the point. Yeah. Um, let's see. Also, the only way to end the cycle of violence is to not engage in it. Right, because had they retaliated with violence for the violence committed against them, it would have just snowballed, and it would have perpetuated the way it has since the Hmong came to the community. Yep. You know? Um, or the other gangs well, in And he Chicago. tells that to Tao. It's like, you know... Detroit? Or, yeah. I did that again! <laughs> <laughs> Chicago, Detroit, eh, basically the same thing. Why, why am I... <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, big big city somewhere. Yep. The uh, he he tells Tao as much. Like he's um, he's like you know they're ex- you know they're expecting you to be all angry and try to get revenge for what they for what they did to your family and your sister. So you have to be smarter than them. We have to think this through and find the best way out of it. And he and- manages to show Tao as like. Um, yeah, it's like killing is only going to make things worse for you. The only way to break a cycle of violence is nonviolently. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, sacrifice and mercy. Mm hmm. Yep. And the pursuit of true justice, because, you know, the, the gang had sort of gotten away with the things that had done with more or less impunity because people were unwilling to stand up to it. Um, 
and they probably weren't wouldn't have been able to meaningfully like get them like punished in a way where they couldn't come back and make things a thousand times worse when they got Mm -hmm. out of jail for a crime but he manages by sacrificing himself to do away with the evil once and for all so i suppose we're getting kind of into the goodness here we are sliding into that territory so why don't we just officially make that transition yeah goodness the goodness in uh, gran torino um the ultimately good thing in the movie is uh, walt's sacrifice yes um i mean it even represented like as he lays dying he's uh you know he's very cruciform in he's the laying he cruciform yeah i love how that that shot when it first looks on him he's like there's a little pool of blood in his palm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also like, focusing on his palm because he's got the, the lighter in there, right. but then the blood trickles down his sleeve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, just, it's pretty great. Yeah. And uh, also the, the Mong family is... Uh, Sue is pretty great. She yep. is. She's pretty... She's, she's got a lot of fire in her. And she's sort of at first kind of bossing Tao around, but only because she wants what's best for him and for him to do something with his life so she's like kind of pushing him right and he, he he's he was kind of a stubborn kid who wouldn't do anything i'm just looking something up because i was trying to see okay I, I was i was gonna see um if the first cavalry's motto had any sort of symbolic value but i guess not because that was his unit in the war anyway yeah he that was also what was on his lighter mm-hmm. so yeah it's Sue's a good character who actually is the first person to like poke in at uh, at Walt's defenses and kind of mm-hmm. draw him out and into the their family. Mm-hmm. She she drags him to their she to translates their party. for the relatives and stuff. It's like what was it? What was her grandma was yelling and he was like, she says, "Welcome to our home." He's she like, didn't say that. Yeah, she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. Just, but she, she's the one that really gives him a chance and like really tries to open him up in a meaningful way and mm. also tries to get... it's pretty clear that walt like respects her for that mm-hmm. if nothing else for just how persistent she is mm-hmm. and she gets away with calling him wally and he's like don't call me wally and then but she keeps doing it anyway and he doesn't really and, do and he it. keeps insulting her and slinging slurs east and west and she's like eh, it rolls off her mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever um let's see what other piece what other elements of goodness i guess are in the movie other than, I mean, we've talked about the main ones. Yeah, we talked about, like, there, there are several good characters that... The priest is a good the, character. The priest is obviously. a good character. Obviously. Um, That's not obvious anymore. No. True. No. In Hollywood movies, in ho- I, I would say it's more so not... It's probably one of the most fair depictions of a priest in a Hollywood movie I've seen mm-hmm. in a long time. It's not like... Because Clint Eastwood. This guy's cool. a, a perfect, you know, know-it-all. He's like, he's very human and mm-hmm. doesn't take the right approach the first time around, but... It's, it's it's well, it's, and it's contrasted like the, his homily the, at the his wife's at Walt's wife's funeral at the beginning versus his homily at the end, where he manages he to says something to the effect of, you know, the first time I met Walt, he said that I don't know anything about life and death, and he was right. Mm-hmm. And through but, some a little bit of self-deprecating humor, is like, well, he straight up tell, says what Walt told him is like. <laughs> Because I was a I was overeducated a, a virgin, twenty-seven-year-old virgin who spent too much time in a book. But yeah, uh, but yeah, he manages to 
deliver a pretty good homily. And uh, I think, yeah, I think at one point Walt just like calls him out. It's like, it sounds like your hom- the homily you were giving at my wife's funeral sounded like it just came straight out of a handbook and he more or less admitted, yeah, like, yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, uh, by working with Walt pastorally manages to sort of grow as a, as a priest. And, and that, that is interesting how it's, you get, everybody interacts with Walt, right? Mm-hmm. They all kind of give something to him, but they also all learn something from him. Yep. Where it's like, it, it is all relationships, all relationships are a two way street. You affect the other as much as they affect you. Mm-hmm. And so you get to see the effect every character in the movie had on Walt as well as the effect he has on everyone else mm-hmm. uh, in the end, mostly for the positive. Yeah. Um, let's see, beauty. What is beautiful about uh, about Gran Torino? It is a very grounded film. Yeah, I'd like, say it's primarily the symbolism. Because, yes. I mean, the, the cinematography is fairly standard. Like, it's good. But like, and the language not, is very harsh on right. Walt's part. It's so. a very human film. Yes, with all with all of the dust uh, and scratches, warts and all. Yep. But there like, are no perfect characters, but there are characters whose like virtues outweigh their vices, I suppose, or they grow in virtue over the course of the movie. Yeah. It's a. It's very honest, but also very hopeful yeah. in its depiction of just this guy's life yeah and uh i think it was like as bishop Barron put it it's like sort of a great demonstration of like the christus victor archetype where you know sacrificing oneself for for the sake of others um but yeah, also very uh, by him, like initially a very very resistant to it mm-hmm. like yeah he's he's uh one, one thing about walt he's he's like a very duty bound guy because you know the old army guy but then then he worked in worked the, for like the Ford factory for he's very four loyal. years or something. But like at his wife's funerals, people are coming in. He's just sort of standing at attention next to her casket. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just very awkwardly because he doesn't want to mingle with these people because mm-hmm. he doesn't particularly care for them. Yep. But yeah, it, it's funny though. Like, um, the kids at the grandma's funeral were kind of like goofing off and the teenage daughter was kind of dressed disrespectfully but then when at Walt's funeral they're all dressed and they're very, they're being very quiet and polite and they're all dressed properly for the funeral and stuff the second time around while also side-eyeing the people they've never met before in the other aisles mm-hmm. yeah but yeah it's sort of like Walt's family grows over the course of the movie yeah it's, there's more of them that attend the second funeral than the first mm-hmm yeah. And so, like, in the, the, the – it does use its um, visuals kind of creatively in mm-hmm. that way. It's very subtle. But it's like, if, if you look, there's there's symbolism there. There's stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, so, like, beauty isn't its strongest suit, but it's – Yeah, it's more – it's beauty, like, in how it's the 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 writing and the um, – yeah, The simplicity of its, its presentation. It's practical and elegant. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unity. What brings everything together? Um. I think yeah. The life and life death. And death. Both natural. 
but both can be done well. Yeah. Well or poorly. Yeah. And it gives you good examples of both it being done well and it being done poorly and it being done well after having been done poorly for a long time. Mm-hmm. So it's like... No one, like well, no one both is redeems salvation. and brings redemption to yeah. others. Re- redeems well. himself and brings redemption to others. Yeah. Um, by mending his ways and uh, shielding Tao and Sue and their family from... I keep I keep coming back to that, but it's really like the main thing in the movie. That's like the main thing the entire film builds up to. It's the defining moment. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I guess that's about all I have to say about that. Yeah. Anything to add? We, we covered most of the life and stu- death stuff earlier, so cool. <laughs> but it's like that's what brings it all together. It's although the the title Grand Torino about the car. I wonder. I wonder what exactly the car symbolizes. I mean, he, it's sort of the pinnacle of his achievement, I think, in his own mind. Because right. you know, he's, he's he worked for the factory. He put the steering it column. It sort of in that represents thing. him mm-hmm. in a way. But he he maintains the car better than he maintains his own life. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't trust anybody else with the car. And him passing the car on to Tao sort of symbolizes how he hands on like the all the values his own legacy and yeah what's right. important to him how even though all, both of his sons and their kids would have been, would have much preferred having they've sort the, of rejected uh, his legacy though like for example like he worked at the ford factory and and his son sells what like, toyota cars yep foreign japanese cars like <laughs> apparently the um like the story goes like if you at a certain time if you drove a import car in detroit you probably would have had people throwing things at you or worse um so that type of thing but yeah his his sons have sort of rejected him and he rejected them in a lot of ways but he still manages to pass on his legacy and that's kind of yeah in in the son he kind of adopted yeah and that's uh represented by the grand torino there you go um but yeah i guess with that uh, thanks for listening to the Palladium Papist. You can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. And leave us a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Palapapis. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or complaints, or suggestions for future episodes, email us at palladiumpapist at gmail.com. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye. See ya.